welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Bella. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> and our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatmulu. And today's text, New Moon, which is the second book in the Twilight series, takes place very specifically in Forks and La Push, Washington, which is the traditional home of the Quileut people, who are quite justifiably not big fans of Twilight, it seems. But we will talk about that today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, Brenna, we are not alone because our disdain for this series is a little bit legendary at this point. So we brought someone on who may or may not help to balance us out. I'm delighted to welcome back to the pod our friend Jenny Knopf. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Thank goodness for you, Jenny. Welcome. (laughs) Not sure whether or not to apologize or to say thank you for being here to balance this out. (laughs) You're welcome in advance. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. So Jenny, I know you have like rewatch parties of the films and stuff, but like what is your relationship to the books? Did you read them when they were coming out? Did you come to the Twilight game late? All right, so not to be superior, but (laughs) my mom gifted me Twilight as a Christmas present before the Twilight craze essentially happened. I don't know if in Canada you guys have the Scholastic book little pamphlets or whatever they handed out at school. Mm -hmm. They still exist, I can can happily (laughs) report. They do? Okay, yeah, that's they do. good. <laughs> uh, because my mom would flip through it because I was such an avid reader and I loved vampires. She saw this little book advertised in it and was like, I think that my daughter will love this book for Christmas. And she got me Twilight. Okay. <laughs> and I'm the reason Cedar Park High School was into that book because I was that girl that ran around oh, saying, wow. everyone needs to read this. This is the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> and if you don't mind, how old were you when this was happening? No, oh, it's going to bum me out. It's got to be 14 or 15. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> So you're probably prime demograph for this, right? Oh, I so was. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember, so, because we are on the New Moon podcast, I do remember when this came out, because I thought Twilight was going to be the only one the way it ended. So when I saw the second one on shelves at a bookstore in the mall, I was like, a second one? And I immediately (laughs) was like freaking out to all my friends. I was like, I had no idea. Because this was like before the internet would like bombard you with information. I just didn't know there was going to be a sequel. Okay. And did you like the second book as much as you liked the first? I have a very specific memory of reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was in Latin class and Latin class was basically goof off class for me. And I was under a, a desk reading it in the back corner with my friend Hannah Zhang. And we were like sobbing and laughing and crying all at once reading this book in Latin class. <laughs> and we were so obsessed. <laughs> okay. At the time, I was like, oh, my God, Bella is so real for that. Uh, in my adulthood, I, I don't know how much the book is as good as I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, Brenda, you never read these books, right? When we're covering them for the show, this is your first time experiencing the glory and the majesty that is Stephanie Meyer's prose, right? Well, everything except the first one. So I read the first one when it came out or very close after. I'm just, Jenny, I keep laughing about the thought of you being in high school reading these because I was literally in the first year of my PhD when New Moon came out. (laughs) (laughs) God. Anyway, and so I remember I had a friend in grad school who was like, you have to read Twilight. It's like so good. And I was like, okay, you're in a creative writing program, so you you must know. So I read it and I was like, what the fuck? Um, (laughs) So I am... I was old and I was a very, you know, jaded 20-something and I was still really into YA. Like, this was a period of my life where my friends and I had, like, reading parties when the new Harry mm-hmm. Potters came out in this time period and stuff. So, like, it wasn't a YA thing, but it was very much a burgeoning understanding of feminism thing and, like, 
The first book outraged me, as we've sure. talked about on the show before. Um, so I never went further. So this was my first read of of New Moon, and I'm assuming you're going to make me read the rest of them. So those will be my first reads too, Joe. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I can unequivocally say that I think this is the worst book from a narrative perspective of this bad. series. I can't say that the writing quality improves or that your feminist side will be any less outraged, particularly <laughs> when we get into the last book, Breaking Dawn, what goes on. But I feel like I can confidently say this is maybe the worst of them, question mark? Well, it it is 563 pages long. Oh, they don't get shorter. But nothing <laughs> happens. Nothing happens. Really, like, it's wild to me. How little happens in this book. <laughs> that is the beauty of this book. <laughs> Truly. It's like, how do I turn nothing into an international bestseller and then a movie franchise? <laughs> but okay, so Brenna, let's assume that we have people listening who did not either read or reread New Moon. What, pray tell, is this book about? These are my people who I'm speaking to now. Um, okay, so obviously Bella Swan is still our protagonist, and she wakes up at the beginning of the book on her 18th birthday. She is obsessed with <laughs> the idea of how old she is now, because of course, mm -hmm. Edward will be 17 forever, and now she is the ancient age of 18. Truly. My favorite change in the movie, by the way, it's not in the book, but at one point in the movie, Jacob goes, what is the deal with you and age? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you, Jacob. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> so she's trying to ignore her birthday. She's trying to avoid her birthday. But of course, the Cullens throw like a party for her at which she gets a paper cut. And then a paper cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there's blood. Jasper's overwhelmed by the scent of her blood. He's one of the vampires. There's a whole thing. Anyway, all of this creates the context in which Edward decides that the Cullens have to leave Forks to protect Bella. Uh, mm -hmm. So they take off. And Bella has the most bizarre response to a breakup ever. She's effectively well, catatonic. It's a teenage girl response, I would argue. I think it's a teenage girl's imagination of what a response to a romantic breakup is. Like, her dad is thinking about hospitalizing her, we find out later in the book. Like, it's a pretty intense reaction yeah but what pulls her out of this emotional reaction over you know 100 pages or so is uh jacob black the boy from la push that's a family friend he's known charlie his whole life and he's fun and he's carefree and he's always smiling and he's really really warm and oh yeah he's a werewolf so mm -hmm. <laughs> this starts a whole thing where like you can't be friends with both werewolves and vampires because they have this ancient treaty slash feud between mm -hmm. them and uh anyway she sees that like the boys from La push jump off these cliffs and she starts to really seek out adventure and like adrenaline rushes and danger because she hallucinates edward every time she's in a really dangerous situation so mm -hmm. she approaches some men when she's out with jessica which is when she first discovers this and then like she gets really into motorcycles with Jacob, and then it's the cliff jumping thing. But unfortunately, when she jumps off the cliff, Alice sees this as like, oh my god, she's trying to kill herself because Alice can't see the werewolves. So Alice is missing key context for mm -hmm. the cliff jumping situation. And Rosalie reports to Edward that Bella is trying to kill herself and so or has killed herself and is dead. And there's a whole misunderstanding with a phone call. And then so uh, Edward takes himself to Italy to try to make the the, the king vampires kill him, the but they, they don't want to do that. King vampires. <laughs> because, <laughs> because he has special powers, because of course everybody in this book is so, so special. Nobody is not special. So Edward is an extremely special vampire, so they don't want to kill him. So, mm -hmm. uh, But they do maybe want to kill Bella, but then they also find out how special Bella is. So then they just want him to promise that he will turn Bella. So then they return to Forks and um there's a thing where they vote and edward agrees that if she marries him he will make her a vampire and apparently marriage is scarier than becoming a vampire to bella um and then there's another showdown with jacob and she breaks his heart and then um the the end how'd i do <laughs> 
Uh, you drew it out way longer than I thought you were going to. <laughs> way, way too much extraneous You make detail. it sound like there's a plot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so Jenny, you cued us that you maybe had a different reaction to this as an adult. So I'm going to let you start. How did you find this reread? It is so funny how much I love these books. Okay, so I had a very interesting relationship that I've already kind of like started out. But like, mm -hmm. towards the end of the Twilight series, I couldn't even finish the fourth book. I hated them. I went from like, Ooh. obsessed and enamored with these books to like throwing the fourth book across my college dorm and saying, I can't stand this series. She can't write. And I feel like <laughs> correct in a handful of years, <laughs> that like, I realized that and then I gave away all my books. So I actually like I had them for like a decade or over. Mm -hmm. And I had to like redownload this because I was like, oh yeah, I don't own this anymore. Wow. And nothing happens. And I feel like it is such a slog for an mm -hmm. adult to go through these mm -hmm. series. I don't know how adults read these books before their brain chemistry changed. So I was that adult because my boss and I read these together. So I had a, a female boss. She was probably mid-30s. And she got really hooked on it. And she was like, you like YA, we should read these together because they're soapy nonsense. So this was in the run up to the release of Breaking Dawn. So the mm. book, not the film. And she said, why don't we read these together? We can like laugh and make fun of them. And then we'll read the new one when it comes out in a little while. So we ended up basically binging the first three books. And yeah, it's really challenging. I can understand why people do end up getting fixated on them because there's something compulsively awful about it to the point where you just want to keep reading to be like, how is she drawing this out? Why isn't more stuff happening? Why is this book so long? And then you put it down and pick up the next one. It's kind of wild. Do you think that Meyer utilizes the short chapters mm -hmm. technique and like because they're like it's so like easy to like just like breeze through and like oh I can read another chapter oh I can just read another one oh yeah. I can just read another one that it like it feels really compelling and fast and I feel like that maybe as a teenager I felt that way but now I'm just like uh. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because I think what's different now is that in high school, I hadn't been through a terrible breakup. And so Bella's breakup felt so right. real to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, this is what happens when you break up with the love of your life. And I had, like, loves of my lives <laughs> in high school sure. that I had, like, monumental crushes on, right? And I was, like, thinking about them when reading this book. But now I'm just like, no, this is just really sad and mm -hmm. punishing to get through as someone who has now been through a big breakup. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, yeah, you right. – I don't want to read – that <laughs> for like 200 pages <laughs> well it doesn't feel authentic right once you've actually been through it once you're an adult you know i think brenna you probably felt very strongly like why is charlie such a bad effing parent He's that he doesn't step father. in and and there's just like a lot of perplexing things but of course we're trapped in bella's perspective and mm -hmm. she is such a narcissist that she can't fathom anyone else's existence so it's just her being modeling for 550 pages she's awful and like i don't mean that in a like oh joe is making me understand that unlikable narrators can be compelling i just mean she's mm -hmm. awful to spend time with. <laughs> and like <laughs> As an adult reader, I think what distressed me about the book, um, and it actually made it hard for me to get through, even though I recognize like the chapters are easy to read, but mm -hmm. I kept putting it down because of the extent to which this feels like a guidebook to concealing so your abusive boyfriend. Like, oh. there's all these moments where, you know, like Bella is constantly near death, obviously, like that's her thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, the number of times that Charlie's like, oh, yeah, well, Bella falls down a lot. Meanwhile, he's, like, got, like, road rash from a motorcycle crash. Oh, yeah, Bella falls down a lot. She's, like, she's bandaged from, like, bleeding. Oh, yeah. I mean, I found it really distressing to read how comfortable everyone is with this notion that Bella is just, just so accident prone that, like violence befalls her and no one will ever come to her defense mm -hmm. there's only so many pages that i could read before i was like no i can't i have to take a break 
Yeah, that actually is maybe the most disturbing thing. I think in my adulthood, I noticed a lot of YA books of my time kind of glorified self-harm oh, in a yeah. weird, yep. in a strange way. And this one was maybe the worst about it because it was disguising self-harm as like love. desperate acts of love. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we talked about the quote-unquote dangerousness of some of these books. And I think, Brenna, you and I spent a fair amount of time in that first book looking at it from the perspective of what happens when young women are preyed upon by older men who mm -hmm. come off as wiser. And therefore, like, there's there's some icky stuff about, like, grooming and mm -hmm. that maybe intersects with the Mormonism of it all. This one either feels like, yeah, how to protect your boyfriend or husband who's abusing you and or justifying hurting yourself for love. And neither one of those are good and definitely not appropriate for a teenage audience. But I don't know. Like, sometimes I wonder if we're being too histrionic. Like, are mm. teen girls savvy enough that they read this and they say, oh, man, Bella, you know, she's heartsick, but also she's hurting herself. Like, surely they must realize that, right? I think as a teenager, when at least I read it, it comes across as romantic. Mm. And it, like, it feels <laughs> like that is like oh when when you have like a massive breakup like that of course that's how you feel and it's personified by how she is like acting but honestly jacob is like the only reasonable person in this book in a weird 100%. way <laughs> in a weird yeah. twisted way 100 <laughs> percent. and like i think it's interesting and i know we'll talk about the film like the film adds a concept of chemistry like mm -hmm. the, the film is much more watchable than the book is readable but one of the things that I said to Joe in our texts back and forth is like, I remember all of the like moms who were sort of logging into AO3 for the first time to read and write sort of fan fiction about these books and, and how mm -hmm. erotic those stories were supposed to be. And of course, obviously, we, we move into Fifty Shades of Grey from that from that right. land that world but like <laughs> on paper the book itself this book in particular it's so chaste, chaste. but yeah. also like there's nothing sexy about any of this and i was saying to joe like if my choice is between a freezing cold block of concrete and somebody whose core temperature is 109 degrees i don't i don't want either of those people in my bed <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those both sound awful. But, you know, obviously the film, I think a lot of people read the book with the casting of the film in their minds and the chemistry that the film adds in their minds to find those relationships like titillating or sexy or whatever, because like right. there's it nothing on the page to make you think about sex at all, really. Definitely not sex, but I am going to agree with Jenny that I think – jacob's warmth as a as a friend even though oh, yeah. because we're in bella's headspace we understand that she will never really feel romantic to the point that i had difficulty believing anyone could declare themselves team jacob from this yeah, book because he's just not a viable option it's whatever love triangles be damned but jacob brings so much welcome relief from all of the edward bullshit agree that I was like, okay, this is what's getting me through this book. Is me wishing we could just have non-dangerous adventures with Jacob because at least that provides something kind of compelling. Well, and there's this narrative thread that we're supposed to pick up that Jacob is the more dangerous of the two, right? Because <laughs> Bella is constantly pointing out that like the Cullens show restraint, whereas the werewolves don't. Right. And like they can't control themselves. Yeah, the Cullens yeah. are good and the werewolves are bad. And obviously, like, we will, there's a lot of that. I mean, it's racist. There's <laughs> just a lot of racism <laughs> tied up in the notion White that. People, safe, indigenous people, dangerous. Exactly. And particularly <laughs> the notion that the young werewolves are so, like, I mean, she all but uses the word savage to describe them, right? Like, it's, mm. it's deeply racist. But I also, I don't understand it as an argument because, yeah, I never feel the kind of danger with Jacob that is sort of constantly emanating from Edward. But we have yet another abusive relationship in the relationship between Sam and Emily. And again, this other really scene that I found deeply disturbing that I had to put the book down is how like Bella kind of idolizes that Emily has like stuck through it. And all she can reflect on is how hard it must be for Sam to look at Emily's face. 
Right. So for folks who haven't read the book or watched the film, this is the leader of the werewolf pack, and he has disfigured his fiance when he transformed. So basically, he lost his he lost his temper, and she has to bear the mark of that. So she has been disfigured on part of her face. But yeah, when Bella looks at her, all she can see is, oh, it must be really hard for Sam to have to see that mm-hmm. all the time. So disturbing. <laughs> yeah, Bella, she's a class act. <laughs> I understand why a 500-year-old or however old Edward is, 100-year-old mm-hmm. vampire, uh, fell in love with her. <laughs> sure, because you can control her so easily because she's a dum-dum. <laughs> she has, her vanity is sky high. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. It's interesting, Brenda, because you may have to change your tune when we get to Eclipse, because we will learn that young vampires are about as dangerous as young werewolves, because the whole story surrounds Victoria and this band of young vampires who are uncontrollable, that she basically sicks on Edward and the Cullens and Bella. But of course, that's not until the next story, (laughs) even though... Victoria is presented as the main thread of this book, and then it just never comes to anything. Gotta save her for the sequel. <laughs> but you hold your breath expecting that to be the showdown, right? Like, mm-hmm. and especially I was reading the copy from the library that it was an ebook, so you know you can't always tell like where you are in space <laughs> with, right. with an ebook. And there was like I don't know, maybe seven or eight percent of this giant book was actually just like. A preview of Eclipse, which mm-hmm. I, of course, didn't put two and two together to realize. So yeah, I got like all, the, even though Joe had already told me, I'm still like, no, it's a Victoria thing's got to happen here somewhere. Hello? Nope. Hello? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's take an impromptu emergency trip to Italy so that we can do this weird not showdown with the Volturi, who admittedly provides some interesting conflict, but then that also doesn't come to anything. Yeah, I mean, it's also copy and paste formula from the first one where it's like, oh, they go to Arizona and have a non-showdown. Oh, they go to Italy and have a (laughs) non-showdown. And the idea that we just go for three days and come back, it's, you know, oh, Bella's grounded now because Charlie was really worried about her. And she's such a dick to Charlie all the time. Like, the fact that she's so, she basically threatens to move out of the house if he puts anything remotely resembling a boundary around her even though she all she ever does is get herself into dangerous situations all day long like i get it from the teenage girl perspective but from the adult perspective it's really hard to read Hmm. well and brenna you also struggled with bella's usability right <sighs> so the way that as soon as edward comes back she basically just casts jacob aside to the point where he is there trying to protect her from Alice and especially Edward when he comes back. And the only thing that Bella can do is snap and bicker at Jacob. Oh. It's like, he's worried you're going to be murdered. And he's been <laughs> the one looking after you for the last 400 pages. She is so userous. And, you know, it's one of those things, as you point out, Joe, it's why any critical reader knows that Jacob is not... Uh, possibility. It's not a romantic possibility because of the Mm -hmm. way she treats him in relation to her feelings for Edward. But it's also so frustrating because, you know, Edward makes fun of her all the time. He's forever mocking her for being small or being weak or being accident prone. Like he's not, he's not actually ever kind to her. Mm -mm. Whereas Jacob is unendingly kind to her. So, you know. Well, that's just not sexy. That's not appealing. (laughs) No, to have a someone that actually cares about your well-being. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Gross. I mean, this is such a formula, right? It's yeah. ooh, the sexy dangerousness of the older man who maybe threatens you versus the younger boy who is actually kind to you. And I can't claim that any of us have probably not had a bad crush or even a bad romantic partner. But at the same time, it's... I mean, it's just something we're going to have to accept if we're going to make our way through the Twilight series because Mm -hmm. it's a foundational principle that Stephanie Meyer is writing about. It just, it doesn't get any easier. Like, I kind of thought Mm -hmm. I'd be more okay with the Edward Bella stuff, but this book shows us all of the distance between the two characters because Edward is gone for so much of the book. 
And the way she just falls back into the same pattern of behavior in the last 20 or so pages when he's back on the scene is just like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we've had some characters like resistant to growth and development before. But Joe, this might be like a new best. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be because I'm, I'm going to bring in a fun fact, though. Ooh. Oh, it could be because Twilight, when it was being published, she was working on a sequel called Forever Dawn. But right. then Twilight ended up being YA and she pivoted because oh. she was like, oh, well, Forever Dawn is like her like post high school. Okay. And I think she pivoted to Bella being in high school still for New Moon. And I'm like, I'm wondering what that Forever Dawn book could have been, because mm. it makes me like wonder if it was like maybe more Breaking Dawn-esque or mm. something like that instead right. of like basically nothing for 500 pages. And I wonder if that's why she like she just didn't know what she wanted to write because she was pivoting to YA, which honestly, that's also weird in my mind that she wrote a book and didn't realize this was definitely not for adults. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I also can we talk a little bit about the heavy handed allusions to Romeo and Juliet in the book? Which at the time I thought was genius because I was like, I love Romeo and Juliet and I still do. It's so clever, the way she's using it. Oh, no, it's it's, not. Never mind. It's always surprising to me that, you know, Joe and I have read a few books on the show where the book itself was written by a Mm 14-year-old. It's always surprising to me that Stephanie Meyer is an adult woman because, (laughs) (laughs) like, I've I've taught Romeo and Juliet a lot. And there is a very typical teenage misreading of Romeo and Juliet, which is to read it as a pure romance, as opposed to reading it as a cautionary tale. And, you know, Mm, there's this moment where Edward's like, you know that Romeo is a problem, right? Like he was in love with Rosalind three pages ago, and now he's in love with Juliet. Like we're being told something by Shakespeare about Romeo's character and his capacity to be like a constant lover, like he can't Mm be. And so there's, you know, there's moments of recognition there. But the idea that like, Throughout the text, we're told over and over, like, Bella sees herself as Juliet, and Bella sees Edward as Romeo, and God, poor Jacob getting cast as Paris, like, (laughs) sucks to be you. Um, But it's fascinating to me that, like, Bella never recognizes that you're not supposed to applaud the end of Romeo and Juliet, right? Like, it's not, like... It's not deeply romantic. They loved each other so much. It's like, oh my God, no, like, they were blinded to what they were actually undertaking and it's really about these families who have put these children in this position right Mm -hmm. but that's never the take-home message for bella and so even recognizing it as her perspective it's fascinating to me that yeah i don't know i'm just i'm so interested in that illusion because to me it's such a surface level illusion and yet she carries it all the way through and i gotta tell you there's this line on the wikipedia page and i've never yelled citation needed louder at my computer screen in my life because there is no citation here and it says reception for new moon was more positive than that of its predecessor some criticized the middle section's pacing critics generally however argued the novel was more mature in tone praising the character development and its depiction of human emotion oh (laughs) yeah Uh, i question that statement yeah there's no citation attached to Which is funny because if you transition to the film, you can talk about the way that it was received because we actually have different ways of capturing that. But like, I mean, we we have book reviews, but they're not gathered in a Rotten Tomatoes style forum. So it is harder to get a sense of what the overall consensus was by critics, by fans and so on. Like, I think Goodreads is probably still the closest approximation we have. But who knows how many of those people actually finished a book, how many of them are mature readers versus teens versus preteens and so on. Like, it's just not really clear. No. And in 2006, the the number of media outlets that were seriously reviewing YA was still vanishingly small, right? So the idea that there is anything to kind of draw on there, I mean... Anyway, it's just it's just funny to me because like if there's one thing this book doesn't have over 500 pages, it's character development. Like as you've pointed <laughs> no. out, Joe, the second Edward returns, she's back into every single pattern. Like she learned nothing from 
that closeness and the ease that she feels when she's in community with Jacob and his family. Like, she learns nothing mm-hmm. from that. <laughs> yeah, I would argue that the only the only actual function that New Moon serves is to introduce the Volturi because they will become characters in the next couple of books and films. And then also to reveal that Jacob is a werewolf because the werewolves will also remain a, a consistent aspect of the story Mm. and that's about it but it shouldn't take us like this to me could have been a little mini novella between twilight and eclipse you remember when ya series used to do that it was like the big thing and they'd often like sell them for charity or something you'd get like this like rainbow rowell used to do it all the time she'd write like a 30 page story between her books and you could like yeah they'd raise money or something that's what this should have been (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and instead, it's uh, it's a giant bestseller, and yeah. it really lines Stephanie Meyer's pockets. So yay! Well, it did what it was destined to do. <laughs> yeah, this is the one that really like cemented the Twilight craze, from what I remember. And I don't uh-huh. think that like when New Moon came out, it was as big as it was. Like I think that the book, like the midnight parties for like the book announcements and stuff like that, happened at Eclipse. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think that's right. I might be totally off because I didn't realize the new moon existed until a certain time. But I also, I, I strongly feel like I would have known if they were doing a Twilight release, midnight party, Harry Potter style for a sequel. Mm. But I remember mm. it for Eclipse. Interesting. Okay, why don't we switch and talk about the film? Because I feel like we might have more positive things to say. It's my birthday. Can I ask for something? Kiss me. I love you. You're my only reason to stay. Alive. If that's what I am. It's time, it's time! Happy birthday, Bella. Let's open your presents. There's a cake, too. Alice, that cake could feed 50. You guys don't even eat. Thanks. What happened with Jasper was nothing. Nothing compared to what could have happened. I promise never to put you through anything like this ever again. This is the last time you'll ever see me. How much could you mean to him if he left you here? I'm protected, but I can't help myself. You are so mouth-watering. So, New Moon, or the Twilight Saga, New Moon, as we were apt to often do because we needed to make sure the IP was very front and center (laughs) and visible. This is a 2009 film directed by Chris Weitz. He has a lot of fingers over various franchises, including YA, but, um, you know, a lot of people will know him from American Pie. That's kind of the one that broke big for him. Screenplay is once again by Melissa Rosenberg, so we can blame her for all of the grievances. <laughs> the budget of the film is $50 million. That's an increase of only $13 million from the first film. So, oh, but it looks so good. I mean, here's the problem. We kind of establish a visual color scheme from mm-hmm. the first film, and then we have to keep it as we move forward. So unfortunately, we're still seeing a lot of blues, a lot of kind of grody greens and so on. Here's the fun part, folks. So the first Twilight film grossed about 408 million worldwide, massive hit, mm-hmm. particularly on that $37 million budget. This one grosses 711 which is an increase of $300 million. Oh my God. So this is a juggernaut. Like, we are not messing around here. Franchise is a gigantic money-making hit. 
So everybody returns from the first film, and we add Michael Sheen as Aro, that's the leader of the Volturi, Dakota Fanning as Jane, who is able to inflict pain on other people, Cameron Bright briefly as her brother Alec, he doesn't really get anything to do in the Volturi scenes. We also have Charlie Booley as Dimitri. He's a, a guard. And then Daniel Cudmore as Felix, who is another member of the Volturi. Thoughts on the film? Jenny. Okay, so I actually didn't watch this movie for the first time until two years ago. Ooh, okay. Because I worked at a movie theater. I'd already, always seen parts of it. When Twilight <laughs> came out, I think I already mentioned... I hated Breaking Dawn, and Breaking Dawn came out the same time the movie came out, so I was off the train. I was just like, can't believe this series is so big. I was so Mm -hmm. hipster about it. You were disillusioned. (laughs) Yeah, disillusioned. That's a nicer word for it. I watched this for the first time two years ago. This movie is, it's so good on... A strange level where I I think it works way more than the book. Oh well, right? Yes, it's a low bar, but <laughs> I agree with you. I agree. A really too. low bar, but also it doesn't make sense why this movie works as well as it does, and why the series itself does. Outside the fact that I think that everyone involved was being silly, and they knew it was silly, and mm. they kind of play into this like sort of insanity that Mm. just is more compelling to watch on screen than it is to read in a book so i would agree with you except for taylor lautner as jacob who was doing his absolute darndest to be like no this is serious i gained a crap ton of muscle (laughs) weight for this and i'm a legitimate actor so i know he got a lot of negative reviews like i was reading through you know the aggregates and like Mm -hmm. i get it like people did not dig uh his performance but i find him so much more compelling as a romantic hero than edward like Mm -hmm. he's well first of all i find him better looking but also like he's just (laughs) he's he's general compassion for bella i think he's he brings that warmth to the screen that we do really miss in the relationship with edward but they also put that stupid wig on his head oh boy yeah and it's funny because there's like this warmth around the werewolf family and you kind of like they're obviously set up in this contrast to the cullens and it's a it's a warmth that i really appreciated but like There's things that are so hard to get past, like the tattoos that they all have. I did some reading about the tattoos because I was like, I am distressed. I'm almost certain this isn't like actual Quileute art. Probably Um, not. No. no. And uh, because I was reading all about, so the Quileute filed a lawsuit against, not against Stephanie Meyer, but against the merchandising company that makes like New Moon Dreamcatcher earrings and stuff like that. Oh, no. Yes. And I don't know if that lawsuit has ever been... Resolved. I found all the paperwork for the filing. I didn't find the resolution. And I noticed that the company still exists and is still selling Twilight merchandise on Amazon. So uh, I don't know. But in reading about that, I was like, there's a lot of criticism from the community, obviously, about like the way their mythology has been represented and misrepresented and the use of, you know, their community and their stories without any credit or even Mm -hmm. any conversation and we talked about all that in the first episode right but uh that tattoo that they all wear so not only was it not designed by a quileute artist but it was designed by a white artist Mm -hmm. on the basis of their understanding of haida art the haida community being like 1300 kilometers north of the quileute community So yeah, I just, it's stuff like that, that just, you know, this film is so much more watchable than the book is readable, but there's moments like that where I'm just like, it actually wouldn't have been hard to get this right, like, Mm -mm. but you just didn't even care enough to try. Well, I think it's also the speed with which they felt they needed to act, right? You know, once the train left the station, we needed to capitalize to make that money. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, I think they banked on people not caring about anything except for what happens with bella and show me edward glittering in the sun in italy which they i mean they were right in fairness they they backed the right horse there like truly yeah (laughs) what is really funny though speaking about jacob is that 
Taylor Lautner actually wasn't supposed to be Jacob in this movie. I found mm-hmm. this out a week ago. Oh, tell, tell. From a TikTok interview that he did, he was like, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be Jacob. They were going to recast me because I looked too mm-hmm. childlike. Yes. And I was like, what? And I cannot imagine a movie series without Taylor Lautner being Jacob, even though I don't think he's a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never clear to me how far down the line they went, or if it was, you know, Chris White sat him down and said, hey, we're not going to be able to continue with you in this role unless dot, dot, dot. Mm. But when you look around, you can't see if they even got to testing anybody else for the role. So I think he realized pretty early after that first film, oh, okay, I know where the character's going to go. And he starts lifting them weights. <laughs> yeah, and now he makes a living uh, doing backflips in Taylor Swift concerts. Mm-hmm. You know, good <laughs> yeah. You know what? I do respect the idea that like I made a ton of money playing this one role. And now I'm on TikTok. <laughs> that's just what I do now. I'm fine financially and I can just do what I want. Oh, I don't know if that's by choice. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he he wanted to parlay this into something more significant. And we'll talk about what happens to his career as we move through the films. But like, unlike Kirsten Stewart and Robert Pattinson, he's never able to break out of the Jacob Black mold. That's the only role that people seem to want to see him in. Mm. Mm, that could be also because uh, he's not the best actor. <laughs> no. He's not the best actor. He's very charming and warm, and that carries yeah. a lot in a movie where there's just like a general lack of both of those things. <laughs> yeah, he literally, mm. that's his job in the movie is to be that and in the books. So Sure. <laughs> and it's true that that doesn't maybe parlay, unfortunately, for him. But um, I think it's worth saying that the scenes when they go to Italy are really – I found visually refreshing. We're out in the sunshine, which is just Mm -hmm. a nice break. Um, I've lived to the Pacific Northwest. Like, I mean, it's gray, but like, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not this gray. Like, it's not morose. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) So I really actually, like, I found that scene in Italy to be totally over the top. It's so much more than what I pictured in the book. Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. picture everybody dressed in red, for example. Maybe they say that in the book, but it didn't resonate with me. No, they just say it's a festival and that's it. But I was so, I was so delighted to have something visually different to look at that I was like, fine with it. It was great. Mm-hmm. And then we just immediately go into a subterranean <sighs> cavern. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, because that's where vampires need to be. Otherwise, they'll be sparkly and everyone would fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, got to protect the world from falling in love with every vampire. (laughs) No, this bridges nicely into a thought that I was having, and it is really more about the book than the film, but but it it carries. There is just this general disdain for women in particular in their relations to the vampires. Like, I'm thinking about that woman who is the receptionist for the Mm -hmm. vampires in the book anyway and the set like bella is so disgusted by her like the idea that she would hang it she would just hang around with vampires waiting to get turned while they did horrible things and i'm like hypocrisy hypocrisy (laughs) why are you disgusted it's you it's this is you my dude Mm -hmm. like what is going on but just in general this sense of like i think we touched on this in the first book but there aren't a lot of women in this world the werewolf world in particularly is very, very masculinized. But mm-hmm. even within the Cullens, it's clear that like Carlisle is in charge and then Edward makes other decisions. But like the extent to which even though Alice is an important character in the film and in the book, I don't know, it's really interesting. There, there is this constant energy around making sure that like Bella is the most important woman character in any given scene that I find... Well, annoying because I don't like her <laughs> as a character, I guess. <laughs> like, I find some of these other women more compelling, but we get so little from them. Yeah. And I think Kristen Stewart knows that she sucks. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. her character sucks. And I think she fully, like, goes into it more than any other actress might have. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I always felt like it was unfair that she carried so much of the, like, oh, Kristen Stewart obviously can't act because Bella sucks. No, like, Bella sucks. Like, there's not a lot on the page to work with here. And mm-hmm. as a society, we always kind of, like, found it charming that Robert Pattinson hated these movies, but not that Kristen Stewart was also trapped in them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, we like to do this to female actresses, though. Mm. They're like, why can't you respect it? Why can't you just love the thing that I love? And she has an adulthood turned around, but I also can understand at the time, like, being resentful when people are saying you can't act when actually she's doing a very good job because Bella sucks. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, it's part of the challenge, right? Like, Bella is so passive. Things just happen to and at Bella. And like, right. that's really hard to bring to the screen because you're not an actual agent in your own life. Like, the whole thing where it leads up to her forcing the Cullens to vote, it's like, one of the few times she sort of comes to her own defense or articulates her own needs. Mm-hmm. But even then, she's making it their decision. Do you know what I mean? Like, she, yeah. her her big act of agency is to give agency to the family. Right. And even the moments where she does try to take ownership over her own actions. You know, like, so much of this film is either her being suicidally depressed in the Mm -hmm. wake of edward's absence and yeah you know that as an actor doesn't give you much to work with except to look sad and then the moments where she is actively trying to instigate edward's memory or voice and i did feel bad i i think i messaged you jenny that i'm a bit of a horrible person because i definitely (laughs) broke out laughing when bella eats s-h-i-t going over the motorcycle (laughs) and into that rock but i was just like i mean gosh this is all kirsten stewart had to work with in this film is like okay so we're gonna throw you over the motorcycle okay we're gonna push you off a cliff okay we're gonna have you run out of a lamborghini okay you know and now we've got a two hour and ten minute movie to shoot i did have a moment okay so you know in little women Mm -hmm. when amy falls through the ice right and maybe I'm a bad person, but there's a pretty big part of me that's like, cool, leave her there. Like, she, <laughs> she's the worst character and we can all move on with our lives if we just drown her here. Right. <laughs> really analogous feelings to Edward going to Italy. <laughs> like, I'm like, cool. Yeah. No, that'd be great. Write him off and then we can all move on with our lives. <laughs> no, but uh, what about true love? <laughs> uh, I will say, I think some of the best casting is Michael Sheen in this movie series yes. as a whole. I think he, I think Twilight is maybe the smartest directed of this franchise. Ooh, uh, but okay. I feel like Michael Sheen being in the movies just makes the movies more watchable. That is interesting. I I find it sort of genius reverse casting because of course michael sheen had already been in underworld movies at this point playing the head of the lichens aka the werewolves so then to swap him out as as you said earlier bretta the king of the vampires (laughs) feels very inspired and he he knows exactly what movie he's in the twinkle in those fake as f red eyes that horrible wig that he is sporting like he's having a lot of fun with this he is so I do want to talk about one thing before we have to wrap up. And it's actually a question for you, Joe. Mm-hmm. So when we were both reading the book, we were texting about gender in the book. And obviously, when we did Twilight, we talked a lot about feminism. And I've already talked a little bit about representations of women here. But mm-hmm. you made the good point that like, the perception of masculinity in the book is just truly and deeply effed up. And the right. example that you gave was when they go to the movie, Jacob and Mike take Bella on this weird friend date to a movie and it turns out that mike has the flu but they think that the movie is just so gory it's turned his stomach and there's all this mockery of him Mm -hmm. how did you feel about the representation of masculinity in the film versus the book yeah i think it's a little bit better if only because to a certain extent you you actually get to see these people living a real life whereas Mm. on the page you're stuck with bella's perspective Mm -hmm. and she is actively mocking mike you know she takes delight in bonding with jacob over that and she's a bit lecherous when it comes to oh you know ooh, jacob really filled out and i'm feeling things in my lady parts but i can't actively do that because i'm so sad you're just like (laughs) okay cool whatever bella 
<laughs> Whereas at least on the screen, I mean, it's tricky, right? Because basically it's hot boy A or hot boy B and we get to see them both shirtless. Like Jacob basically doesn't wear a shirt for the entire back half yeah. of the movie because he runs hot. And also because we're trying to make him a viable romantic partner. So, hey, look at how much he's filled out. Sexy. Well, and he worked really hard to do that. So <laughs> Truly, good for credit. Taylor Lautner. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it very much is a machismo-based culture. And mm -hmm. I can't help but read into the way that women always acquiesce to men. So this feels like an extreme perspective of, okay, women are meek. Even if they have special powers, even if they are able to sense the future, even if everyone will do anything to protect them, it's like, no, they always have to bend the knee to men, and the men also have to be manly men. Mm -hmm. It's a little boring. Well, it's, you know, there's been much discussion over the last, oh my god, we're getting close to 20 years of Twilight, mm -hmm. with the idea that, like, to what extent is this story influenced by Meyer's religious faith, right? She's mm -hmm. Mormon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before we started recording, I was saying to you guys that like, the the moment where there's all this scandal around whether or not Bella should drink a Coke made me think like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're in, we're in a very Mormon worldview here, obviously. But the gender dynamics, I think, are really where that worldview is at its both most subtle, but clearest, right? Which is the idea that like, you know, Mormonism is a deeply patriarchal faith. Mm -hmm. It's run on this, this system of like, priesthood being sort of held by the man of the house. Um, and it's interesting, because after you said that about masculinity, I was watching the film, and I was really thinking about the ways in which like, part of Charlie's kind of failure to like parent this child effectively, is told to us through his sort of inability to run his household, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas she's she's looking towards this family where Edward will very much be in charge. Um, and that's where she's sort of running towards. So yeah, I just, I find all that really interesting. And it's on the screen, I really love Billy Burke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I he's hot. So, he's hot <laughs> and he's charming. He's adorable. I had a friend when these movies came out who was like, I'm team Charlie. Like, he's sure. the only compelling man in this series. True. So it's, I think a lot of those issues with masculinity are offset, you know, in many ways, as Joe, you said, by the fact that these people exist and also by very canny casting. I also mm -hmm. love Graham Greene as Harry in the film as well. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I do think there's something going on around sort of the patriarchal structures of both the vampire and werewolf worlds mm -hmm. um, that I guess if you're going to make me keep reading and watching these, that's what I'm going to be paying attention to as we go forward. Oh, and it gets so much better. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. Jenny, for for a private laugh with you and I, can you imagine what Brenna is going to do when we get to imprinting? I cannot wait. I, I didn't realize that you hadn't read these, and I was going to say something in this podcast, and now I'm like, I cannot spoil that for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. Brenna, it is the absolute wildest thing. The internet practically broke when Breaking Dawn came out because it is so yeah it verges on madness not oh, this is why lie. i couldn't finish the book i threw it across the room i was like mm -hmm. are you got to be kidding mm -hmm. oh wow okay okay yeah it's <laughs> hilarious it's gonna be so much fun <laughs> i will say i'm excited at least to move forward because i think eclipse from what i remember of it it's still long and drawn out and it, there's a lot of annoying stuff over machismo between Edward and Jacob, but at least we finally pay off the Victoria stuff and it has a sense of momentum. And I remember liking that film because I enjoy David Slade as a director. Oh, yeah. Hiring a horror movie director to direct a horror movie? Mm -hmm. What a concept. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to like, I know that you mentioned uh, Bella having a Coke. Are you familiar with Utah or Salt Lake City Coke culture then? No. <laughs> and like soda no. culture? Okay. So I watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and I've learned a lot about Mormonism through that show. And mm -hmm. one thing I have learned is that there is insane soda culture in 
Salt Lake City and Utah areas and Mormon like communities where okay. they don't let their children have like soda until a certain age. And when they do, mm-hmm. they, they get high off of it almost. Like it's insane right. how crazy they get. And there's an episode this season where one of the girls is allowed to have like a soda party. And oh, no. she like turned 15, I believe. And she got a golf cart as well. But like she <laughs> is like high off of soda like in one scene where she comes up to her mom and she's like oh my god mom i can't believe this and it's like insane how hyper she is oh wow like she looks like she's on drugs and Mm -hmm. the soda culture is just like really intense and i'm also on diet coke tiktok i don't drink diet coke but i've learned so many things from uh mormons about diet coke (laughs) (laughs) you have seen some things you are in the trenches (laughs) ma'am i am Anyway, I thought that was a funny thing that you mentioned, and I didn't know if you uh, you knew all about that. No, I mean, I knew there were, like, soft drink bars, basically, in Utah, because there's so little alcohol consumption per capita compared to the rest of the U.S., but I mm. did not know about the kids going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over, <laughs> over their first sodas. That's wild. It is insane. <laughs> yeah. I just knew that it was rationed because my sister was friends with a lot of Mormons in high school and pop was a very big deal for them. Yes. Wow. Okay. It's so huge. <laughs> I just love that scene where they're like, she's just listened to like all of these humans be murdered by the Volturi and she's rescued edward from certain death and Mm -hmm. she's been promised to be turned into a vampire and the only thing anyone is commenting on is whether or not she can handle the caffeine in the coke on the red eye flight home it's It's because she's so exhausted she just needs to sleep everyone (sighs) wants to tell her what she should be doing with her own body (laughs) (laughs) i just want her to sleep so she stops talking well All right. Shall we play some YA bingo? Oh, we've earned it. We've earned it. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so excited for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, Jenny, because I tend to go overboard, we always let the guest go first. So, Jenny, do you have some bingos to share? Yes, I do. First, I wanted to do montage. Because... New Moon has my favorite movie montage of all time. <laughs> oh, which, which one? one? The one where they go through the seasons and Bella's just sitting and staring oh out her window. <laughs> it's just, she's there the, for seasons. <laughs> anyway, I also love in the book where it's also a montage where it's like fall, spring, winter, or whatever. I obviously did it out of order, but it's like you go through it and you're like, what? <laughs> what happened to her in this? Anyway. Uh, hollow friendships and romances, because uh, the hollow romance being between Jacob and Bella. Yeah. Sure. Or any of the other ones. True. Uh, aged up and forever young, because uh, mm-hmm. that's what Bella wants to be, is forever young. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I'm going to do one more, even though I know it's not a bingo yet, but I want to do house porn, because that okay. house uh, that they live in is just incredible. The Cullen's house? Yes, and they're making yeah. a Lego set out of it. Oh, my God. oh. <laughs> amazing! Okay. Yes. All right, I'm obviously gonna have abuse because there's just so much, mm-hmm. so much emotional abuse in this book, um, and a little physical. I'm gonna go with CanCon because, of course, this was filmed in Musqueam Tooth territory in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I gotta give it to Dead Body, if for no other reason, the body count in the Volturi scene it's got to be upwards of 20 dead bodies well sure and we're also killing hikers throughout the oh, entire yeah. book oh, yeah. yeah five hikers by the way I think anybody who has ever lived like near woods knows that if like one hiker dies it's a mm-hmm. big deal but here yeah. they're like and the fifth hiker has been killed on the trails anyway happy hiking everyone stay out of the woods <laughs> <laughs> something's out there <laughs> <laughs> The chosen one, but obviously we have like the chosen three, right? Because Edward is very special as a vampire. Jacob is very, very special as a werewolf. And of course, Bella has a specialness that apparently cannot be denied, but also can't be seen or experienced. <laughs> or experienced. It smells so delicious. Mm, nom, 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 nom. Um, I'm going to go magic supernatural and then I'm going to leave some for Joe. 
Okay. Yeah. So we do have a road trip to Italy. Mm-hmm. We've got stunt casting in Michael Sheen and Dakota Fanning. That's true. I would argue that a number of the times that Bella and Jacob are together is sort of tantamount to a perfect date if she would actually just let it go. But even Edward taking her to the meadow and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. I agree with you, though, about the perfect dates with Jacob. The number of times I wanted to yell, particularly at the screen, because it's less compelling in the book. But the number of times I wanted to yell at the screen, like, this is what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So speaking of, we have coincidental classes for the Romeo and Juliet, which is (laughs) demonstrably not what a good relationship looks like, but Bella keeps confusing herself. (laughs) And then we do have a female writer and screenwriter as well. True. So by my approximation, that gives us four lines, the most we have had in a very, very long time. Yeah, that's true. And that's not even with sexual awakening, which I think you could argue. Oh, sorry. I I was about to say, you can argue that one. Yes. (laughs) I think even just from Jacob's perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, I had factored that in. So that that contributes to the four. Um, And the only other one I was going to argue for was good friendships, because I actually think there's about a 200-page spread in the novel where Jacob and Bella have quite a good friendship going compared to any other social relationships she's had in the context of the novels. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would even say Bella and Alice have a pretty yeah. good friendship as well. Like uh-huh. to the point where I almost wish we could just read more about them. And as you said, Brenna, let Edward burn. Yeah, just kill him. Just kill him dead. Oh, and would you count, <laughs> speaking of Alice, I know that she's not the main character, but she is Manic Pixie. Mm. Like a thousand percent. Yeah. At least her styling, like the way... Yeah. The way she is costumed. I mean, we mentioned the the bad wig on Taylor Lautner, but I don't know who Ashley Green made angry on this production. But the <laughs> fact that they make her wear this hair for the entirety of these five movies is just so cruel. Yeah, yeah, I can. It is mean, but that's <laughs> how she was described in the book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so... um Brenna, you have done it again. You have survived another Twilight. And you didn't get quite as mad this time. You know what is the problem with this book from the perspective of our (laughs) listeners who like an angry Brenna episode? Mm -hmm. There's not even enough here to get worked up about. Like, it's just really, really, really boring. But I don't think watching the film is a bad idea if you've got a few hours to kill. It's fun. But don't bother with the book. It's so tedious. Yeah, I put this on the film first thing on a Saturday morning and just kind of had breakfast and casually watched it and sort of scrolled through Twitter for a little bit. And it was fine. It was like a decently enjoyable time. I think you're right, Jenny. I think you really cracked it where you said they're almost making fun of it. Like the Mm -hmm. actors are very self-aware. And I think that's what makes any of these movies past the first one insanely watchable. Mm Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why, as someone who doesn't like the books anymore, I think the movies are more enjoyable for me to get yes. through. Because it's like, I loved them at a time, but it's it's nice to like sit around and poke fun at something that you know was bad, and then mm-hmm. the movie also knows was bad, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Joe, we are like massively changing gears here with our Mm -hmm. next episode so listeners will remember that uh, back before christmas we checked out charlie and the chocolate factory and a couple of adaptations that was all in preparation of course for the backstory i guess someone asked for which is wonka 2023 so we'll be checking that out together next week all right Okay, now if you want to get in touch with us about how wrong we are about Twilight because secretly New Moon is the best book, for example, Ooh. or anything else, you can find us on social media at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? Uh, I can be reached at B still my remote and that's the letter B. I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. And, of course, you can always email us anything longform, HKHSPod at gmail.com and end up in the mailbag. Jenny, if people want to find you, how do they get a hold of you? I am Jenny Lee, X33. 
That is L-E-I-G-H across all platforms, anyone you can think of. And I'm also going to boost Serialized still Ooh, because yeah. it's the best one. Uh, but also, I think I am Jenny Lee X33 on Goodreads as well, uh, if anyone uses that. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So thanks so much for being here, Jenny. Your perspective is very welcome when we talk Twilight, and I hope you'll come back to protect me from the next one. <laughs> oh my god, yes. I, I would be honored. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. You know, it's a, it's an essential uh, coming of age. Eh, what am I trying to say? <clears throat> The flip side of that, though, is that we have yet another abusive relationship with Sam and, oh, what's her name? Emily? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, God, yeah. Hold on. One sec. <laughs> <laughs>